Welcome to the Overboard Show. This is Antonio from No Marks Allowed, and let's get right into it. Judgment Day and Extreme Rules. Now, the reason I say Judgment Day and Extreme Rules, because this was the match of the night. By a mile, Finn Baylor versus Edge. Usually, you would think the main event would be the match of the night, but we've seen this before in WWE when the main event isn't always the match of the night because Roman Reigns is most likely in the main event, and you know how that goes. But, you know, Judgment Day was a faction that Edge created, and he created a monster that became uncontrollable, so Edge said he started it, he needed to finish it. So... He had a I quit match against Finn Balor. Now, I, I quit matches is hard to predict because when you got two men in the ring, especially when we had the one in AEW between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, I'm like, are these guys going to beat each other to death? Because I don't see any of these guys saying I quit. Well, this match was the same. I couldn't even see Finn Balor saying he quit or Edge. But... The numbers game played a big part of this match, just like it did for the rest of the card. Some, it went the other person's way, some it didn't. In this match, it got wicked. You had, you know, Dominic Mysterio interfere. You had Punishment Martinez interfere. You had Rhea Ripley interfere. Beth Phoenix even had to come in and help on her husband's behalf. And we seen when Rhea Ripley handcuffed, you know, Edge, and Beth Phoenix came in there and cleared house, and she got the key and uncuffed Edge. And, you know, Edge had his chance to, to get, get at, um, you know, Dominic Mysterio and turn things into his favor, but then Rhea Ripley came in and had a face-off with uh, Beth Phoenix. It was just crazy. And what made this match awesome was when Beth Phoenix got involved, that's when the match got good because Rhea Ripley ended up you know, knocking Beth Phoenix out with the brass knuckles. And then he she threatened to break, you know, Beth Phoenix's neck just like Edge's neck was broke by hitting her in the head with a chair, with a chair underneath her head already. And what was so savage about it, Edge had to say he quit because his wife was about to get finished. But Rhea Ripley hit her anyway. And that got the ire of fans like... This is like a top hill moment. Like if the fans would have rioted, I wouldn't have been surprised because the reaction to what Rhea Ripley did, I know she probably lost a lot of fans, even her diehard fans for doing that shit. But I always said, you know, you can't put a price on veterans. I say this with Sting. I say this with Edge. Like I was when Sting first came to AEW, I was like, Sting, he kind of washed. This crow thing is kind of old, but... I was wrong that fans love nostalgia. So they went crazy for Sting, and it's working out well with Sting and Darby. This Edge thing with Unforgiven worked out amazing, and it's one of the things that's really getting over with fans in Triple H's new WWE. And um, this started before Triple H took over, and a lot of people was loving it. Uh, but Edge is just like the guy from the, you know... Attitude era, the guy from the Ruthless Aggression era that just knows how to get over, knows how to play on the emotions of the fans. And he still knows the psychology of putting on a good match. So I was wrong about Edge. I was like, WWE, they got way much, way too much NXT talent 
to depend on Edge. You see what I'm saying? And like me, I like new shit. I dropped out of WWE after the Attitude Era and came back to 2016 when New Japan started connecting with Ring of Honor once I heard about Kenny Omega and everything. But I, you just can't deny that nostalgia gets over it. And Edge and Finn Balor are one of the people fans want to see in these big spots. And Triple H is putting them in these big spots. Um, spots that, you know, Finn Balor, Punishment Martinez, Rhea Ripley wasn't getting at first under Vince Tutelage. Finn Balor was really an afterthought to Rick Boogs and Mad Cat Moss. But now we're seeing these main eventers, you know, be where they belong. Now, um... Like I said before, this was the match of the night. Psychology, action work. And like I said, none of these matches had rules, so the numbers game plays a huge part in all of these matches. Now let's get back to the women's championship. Where the numbers game didn't work out because Bianca Belair was still able to defeat Bailey. And this is uh, sort of the second extreme match that she defeated Bailey, and she defeated Bailey in a Hell in a Cell match not too long ago. Was that a year or two ago? I think it was. And Bayley had the weapons, but she still couldn't overcome Bianca Belair. Well, this is this time, Io Shirai and Candice LeRae, I think that's her name, came to the ring and tried to all but assure Bayley to win. And Bianca Belair KOD'd two of them at the same time. She also KOD'd uh, Bayley, and she ended up grabbing that belt. She was the only one that was able to defeat the numbers game. Because as you can see right here, Edge was not be able to defeat the numbers game. Karrion Cross used, you know, Scarlet Bordeaux, you know, as a weapon. Because she ended up spraying Drew McIntyre and costing him the match with the strap. So, shout out to Bianca Belair because she was the only one, she was the only one that was able to win despite having a numbers game against her. But this is a match I can keep watching over and over again. And let's not forget about the main event, because I'm watching the main event and I'm seeing the vignettes between Seth Rollins and uh, Matt Riddle, and the shit was funny, because he was like, you're the only man in your family is Becky, some shit. And then Seth Rollins was like, let's talk about where your family is. Your wife broke up for you, and your no, he was like, your wife broke up with you, and... She didn't let you see the kids anymore. And then Matt, because you're a bitch. I was like, oh, that was crazy. And then Matt Riddle was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to beat your ass. I'm gonna. That match was crazy. And this might have been, this might have been the biggest win, you know, of Matt Riddle's career. Because we all loved him with RK, bro. That really got over. And we seen the high spot he did, the RKO he did to Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins was the sentimental favorite, even though he was the heel, the fans seemed to gravitate to Seth Rollins more than Matt Riddle, because you know, when he comes in with that, oh, and Seth is a throwback, when AEW was dominating the headlines, and people were saying that WWE was garbage on their Vince's watch, Seth was the one fighting back, defending his company on Twitter, but you know, the WWE fans rallied behind Seth for some reason. And shout out to Daniel Cormier because he's an ex-UFC champion. And he was like, fight him. Do not fight me. Fight him. Do not fight me. But Cormier had a little rust on him because I remember um, 
I think Ben Paler or Seth Rollins did a curve stomp. No, I think Seth Rollins did a curve stomp on Matt Riddle. And, and you know, Daniel Cormier is just sitting there. And the commentator is like, what is Daniel Cormier doing? He was just sitting there looking at him. He was like, he's supposed to count the three. But the way Daniel Cormier thought it was, he just thought it was a shoot. Motherfuckers were supposed to get in there and kill each other. But Matt Riddle did that, you know, Riddle, that his finisher off the top of that thing, which wasn't even that high. He could have went to the top of the cage. They was all, like, fucking, you know, getting hyped for nothing. I was like, he didn't even jump that far. But this might have been Seth, I mean, this might have been Matt Riddle's best performance of his career and his biggest run of his career in a, you know, extreme role match. So two heels won and two faces won the main matches at Extreme Rules. And I gotta say, this was a great pay-per-view. I'm not even gonna front. WWE, they can put on pay-per-views. It just seems like the TV, they really slack off because they got two shows every week and, and it's like five hours of television. But every once in a while, you get a good show. But the pay-per-views, uh, I always take my time out to watch a pay-per-view. I haven't missed one in like a year. And this one was worth it. Now I gotta address the Ray Wyatt situation. Like, why are you fans getting hyped for shit that always... Well, why do you guys get hyped for shit you already know that was going to happen? We all knew Bray Wyatt was coming back as the White Rabbit. But I don't know if this is fans' excitement or if Vince is injecting crowd noise into the crowd. Because this is why motherfuckers call you marks. And this is why WWE can't improve. Instead of getting new people, they just bring back old motherfuckers you've never seen or you haven't seen in a while and act like it's a surprise. And you guys act like fucking works and get hype over it. Bray Wyatt is coming back to do the same stupid shit, the spooky shit, and just job the Roman. So is Braun Strowman. They're not bringing any new talent up from NXT. The talent they brought up from NXT should have been there two years ago. So Adam Cole... And them is in AEW now, the Undisputed Era. The best thing that ever happened to NXT was the Undisputed Era. You still got Dexter Loomis on some jokey joke shit against The Miz. Like, he's acting, looking like a fool again. And you bring Bray Wyatt back doing the same spooky, scary shit. And y'all fans is getting happy about it. You shouldn't have. Now, if you're a Bray Wyatt fan, it's cool. But y'all acting like this was a motherfucker we never seen before. It's the same shit. Like I said, WWE. No, I said Apple, Jordan, and WWE selling you the same shit over and over again. This is like a sneakerhead getting excited for some bread ones or some bread 11s to come back out. Knowing that they already had the shit out already. But, like I said before, everybody knew the White Rabbit was spelled Brian Wyatt if you really did your homework on it. But this looked like the same or not too different. And motherfuckers is like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Like, you never seen it before. All these new motherfuckers or old motherfuckers that was in WWE before that sat down for a while and didn't get signed by AEW or 
TNA or New Japan is coming back to WWE to be the same, do the same shit, and play the same role. Bray Wyatt will not beat, you know, Roman Reigns for the title. He's just going to job until WrestleMania. You see what I'm saying? Or, uh... Job until job until Royal Rumble, whatever it is, they gonna put Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt in front of Roman Reigns at their two biggest pay per views to re at before WrestleMania, and make it seem like Roman is a conqueror after he already beat these motherfuckers before. So I don't know if Braun Strowman has lost to uh, Roman Reigns or Roman Reigns has lost to Braun Strowman already, but they gonna try to make it seem like Roman wants some get back, and it's gonna make it look like oh. Bray Wyatt is that supernatural creature that can beat Roman and Roman just looks super strong into Wrestlemania so I'm not surprised and you shouldn't be surprised either that Bray Wyatt bet you shouldn't even mark the fuck out either Episode of the Overboys. I did a report on the Young Bucks selling out the Deodores. That was exclusively in champs and why I didn't get a pair. Now, after some idiot watched the episode, I'm seeing this. The 10 and a half to size 12 going for $500 and $600 on Macari. There's a reason this shit ain't on Stock X. Or GOAT, because don't nobody want them, except for diehard wrestling fans. And you shouldn't charge a diehard wrestling fans $500 to $600 for them. I think that was, you know, aimed at me after watching that episode, thinking I'm going to pay that much for some Deodores. I give you $125 for either pair. Because if you don't sell them, I'm just going to wait till you starve. And you don't have them shoes during the holidays because a young buck fan ain't got it and a sneakerhead ain't a sucker so you don't be sitting on them shoes and you know sell them for below retail if you don't sell them to me for 125 look at four jordan four five six don't gamble with your life i'm not paying 400 or 600 dollars for no damn deodores i love the young bucks but i can have my mans make a custom young bucks jordan like it ain't nothing so, yeah, I feel like, Matt, you got to look out for me. You see how they trying to play the culture? There's only 1,200 pairs of them Diodores left. Somebody done watched the Overboys, the most dangerous podcast of wrestling. I've seen the story with the money phone, me calling Matt, asking for a pair, and thinking they're going to sell those Diodores size 12 or 10 and a half for $400 or $600. And I feel sorry for any Young Buck fan that pay that much for a Diodore. Like, use a fucking sucker or a mark. And if you pay 400 or 500 to $600, Matt and Nick Jackson should go in their pockets and give you back the 400 Because a person that didn't want that Diodora, Young Buck shouldn't have grabbed it and took it from a real wrestling fan that wanted it. That's when it's fucked up, when the resale market is taken from. They do the same thing with the wrestling tickets. You know what I mean? That's why you buy your tickets last minute, like I tell you idiots. You not buy tickets when they first come out because you're buying a scout ticket that's marked up 10 times over the price of what it is. So, yeah, I'm not a sucker. You see my collection, Jordan 4, 5, 6. Like, don't gamble with your life. 
You see what I'm saying? Why would I pay 500 and 600 for a Diodora? I was doing it for the culture, but I'll give you $125 for either of the pair. Or I'd buy both of y'all pairs for $125, but no one in their right mind don't buy a pair of Diodoras for $600 or $500 because it's not worth it. It's seven pairs of retro Jordans that's sitting right now up the street at Mondarmin Mall. You think a motherfucker thinking about some Diodoras? I asked five Diod five champ stores in the Baltimore area, and no one knew what I was talking about. So these shoes that came out for Diodora was made for exclusive AEW fans. And it was probably smart enough to not to do a huge run like that. But I think the Young Bucks, when y'all get that Jordan deal, because I know y'all don't get that jump brand bit, but that jump <laughs> that jump man deal soon. Cause Kanye started off with a Nike. He went to Adidas. Kanye did Louis Vuitton shoes before he went to Nike and Adidas. So I feel like Diodora is a stepping stone for the Young Bucks to get the new Air Jordan Young Bucks collab. And if it's sold out and you got 1,200 pairs, hey, I'll give you 500 for that Diodora Jordan collab or 600. But I'm not paying a penny retail. I'm not paying a penny over retail for some fucking Diodoras. I'm sorry. But for the Young Bucks Diodoras... I'll give you, you paid 100 for them, I'll give you 125 for them. And then I'll buy both pair for 125 And I'll give a pair, I have a giveaway to one of my fans or supporters. And I'll give you guys, whoever wins the contest or we do a randomizer, I'll give away that other pair of Young Buck Theodores. But y'all watching my story with me calling Matt Jackson on the money phone with all my sneakers in the background. Then you watching a podcast saying I could have got the 10 and a half. The 12, but I just chose to go out and get them, get them at the mall, which didn't work. I got in some trouble. I didn't get in trouble, but I ran into a bad day. But yeah, y'all not slick. And if you are the biggest mark and fuck boy, if you pay 500 or 600 for a pair of Diodoras that someone took off shelves purposely... From you, because you was a Young Buck fan, and sold them to you. That's fucking up the game. We accustomed doing that to Jordans and Yeezys and Air Maxes, Sean Rutherspoons, but not on no wrestler shoes. If that's the case, let's get them ugly super kicks from Pro Kids or from Pro Wrestling Tees and let's resell them for $500 a piece. So I feel like uh, those two pair of Diodoras was aimed at me specifically. Because those are the only Diodoras that's on the market for a resale price. Ain't nobody buddy putting no Young Buck Diodoras on StockX or fucking um, uh, GOAT. And if it is, it's someone that worked for Diodora that got extra pairs that's trying to get over on somebody. So Matt, Nick, hook a brother up. You see what they doing to the culture? So... Man, Nick Gage put his career on the line. John Moxley put his title on the line. His GCW title on the line. And this story, I mean, I think I might have talked GCW out of having Matt Cordonia in the period because I talked to the wrestling enthusiasts. And we both thought Matt Cordonia was going to have something to do with, you know, this Nick Gage-Moxley match. But... No one wants to admit 
that the Overboys booked their shit. So they probably swerved us. And this was a great match. I mean, it wasn't as good as the first two Moxley versus Gage matches. And uh, I'm not saying that because I didn't go. Because I know somebody like, oh, you always say the best matches, but weren't you? The best matches they had was the ones when you were there. Now, this match wasn't good better than uh, John Moxley one or two. Or did they only wrestle once? I think they only wrestled once before. Or did they, no, they wrestled... I wasn't... No, matter of fact, I was there for the Fight Club one. That was inside the showboat. But I don't think I was there for the second one. Uh, that was at the... No, I don't think I was there for the second one. Or was I there for the second one? I know I was there when Moxley approached him after beating Ricky Shane Page at Mania Weekend. But what was, what was interesting in this match, Nick Gage finally got the help. Nick Gage is always the one that gets screwed over and, you know, ends up losing the GCW title. Whether it's the Ricky Shane Page or John Moxley or Matt Cardona, it's always Nick Gage being the brunt of the interference. This time he got some help from AEW. It was Stokey Hathaway. And Morrissey came in and choke slammed Moxley twice. Then, you know, Nick Gage hit Moxley with two power drivers and two rock bottom backbreakers and put him away. Like he put Moxley down. And Nick Gage, I wonder if he's looking back because it seemed like Nick Gage was out and didn't see what happened. I don't think Nick Gage wanted to win the title that way. I think he wanted to beat Moxley one-on-one. Like, he didn't want to have the whole GCW locker room beat up on Moxley so he can get an advantage. So, will Nick Gage have a rematch? Career versus title part two because in a steel cage match, locked with no interference so he can really beat Bon Moxley because he really didn't beat John Moxley. AEW did. And this has MJF stench all over it. Because, you know, MJF has the casino chip to cash in the title at any time. Well, to cash in to face any AEW champion that has that title. And then Tuesday in John Moxley's hometown, he's going against Adam Hangman Page, I think, in Dynamite. Can you imagine MJF? Beating Moxley, cashing in that casino chip and beating Moxley in his hometown for an AEW title. That would be probably the worst week in John Moxley's life. Or the worst seven-day period in John Moxley's life. He loses the GCW championship and AEW championship in the same week. MJF is a master manipulator. You've seen this at AEW when he hired the firm to win the casino ladder match. And they gave him the golden ticket. Because MJF once used Nick Gage as one of his hitters to take out Chris Jericho. And that didn't work. So with this work against John Moxley, it's very interesting to see. But GCW was saved because MDK was saved. Without MDK, there's no GCW. But looking back at it, looking back at the tape, and when he sees Morrissey's interference with that match, will Nick Gage want to rematch the Moxley? Because he didn't want to win that way. Like, he wants to win by slicing your forehead up and hitting you with light bulbs, but he doesn't want interference from another whole grown man. You see what I'm saying? So I think after watching the tape, Nick Gage won't be happy with his own win. <laughs>
Center in Brooklyn this Monday and they had the DX 25th year anniversary which was a DX reunion but this is the over boys the most dangerous podcast in wrestling and we're not going to talk about what everyone else is talking about we're going to talk about Bobby Lashley because not only did he lose his title to Seth freaking Rollins, he got demolished by Brock Lesnar who WWE made us think he was done for the year or done for good but they lied again so you know americans will never give black people reparations it's not gonna happen but the wwe can do something like that for their fans for all the times they had wrestlers make black people look stupid from the coco bewares the junkyard dogs there are truths to hit rows you don't see any black people wearing these t-shirts you see black people wearing vintage you know, RKO shirts, vintage Shawn Michaels shirts, vintage Razor Ramon shirts. Why aren't they wearing a vintage Junkyard Dog shirt, a vintage Coco Beware shirt, a vintage R-Truth shirt? Because they all look like a clown. Because even if you have, no one wants to wear a Kofi Kingston shirt or a New Day shirt or a Hurt Business shirt, you see more black people with, you know, the Bloodline shirts. So since you know, the WWE fan base is, you know, mostly black now. Like, when you look at all black podcasters, all they really talk about is WWE exclusively. And when everybody jumped shit to AEW and said, I'm not fucking with WWE no more because it's trash, it was the black fans that still stuck with WWE. Now, this is what we're going to do. This is how WWE can pay their black fans back for making black wrestlers look stupid. Give Bobby Lashley a legacy. Hopefully this Brock Lesnar thing can lead to a trilogy where no one can interfere. And Brock will get a win. Bobby can get a win. And on that rubber match, Bobby Lashley would beat Brock Lesnar. Then he compels himself to call out Roman Reigns. WrestleMania 39. 
LA, second night, uh, if The Rock doesn't show up, put Cody to the side. He, he can do something else with Triple H for night one. Bobby Lashley defeats Roman Reigns and has a real title run, holding both the United States Championship and the world's, not the United States Championship, holding the World Heavyweight Championship and the Universal Championship and let Bobby keep it for like four, five, six months after WrestleMania. Do a black wrestler, right? Because if you don't have a top guy that's black in the WWE without us having to dick ride the rock and pretend that he's black when he's a Samoan, let it be Bobby Lashley. You know, he has all the accolades. His MMA record is better than Brock Lesnar's and Ronda Rousey's. He ran TNA for three years, had some great um, years in TNA. Give black people something real, because right now black people are looking like clowns for supporting the WWE. Kofi had the belt and lost to Brock Lesnar in seven seconds. Big E had the fake heavyweight title and lost it in two weeks. So this is how WWE can pay their black fans reparations. Have Bobby Lashley, night two, defeat Roman Reigns for the universal title and the heavyweight title. Shit, Roman beat everybody fucking else. I don't, I, I mean, at least you could do that, because I don't think The Rock is coming back for WrestleMania 13, or WrestleMania 39. Did he say no already? Like, why is Rock back? Did The Rock, did The Rock get the green light for Black Adam too? <laughs> and then they're starting to record that near WrestleMania season just to be funny? So let me know if this is the right, right, really, that WWE can pay their black fans back for sticking with them. I wasn't able to check out Raw. I had to work. Um, it was in Brooklyn. Usually when WWE comes to Brooklyn, um, I always go to New York City to see them. Or even if they're at Madison Square Garden, I'll go to see them. Anywhere close to Baltimore. But I had to work, so I couldn't make it. But one of my overs, one of the people I follow, and one of the people that follow me that support me, Brandon, was there in the house with his two titles to take in all the action. Make sure you follow Brandon. Here's his Instagram handle and take a look at what he experienced on Monday Night Raw from Brooklyn. Hey, Brooklyn. Hey, hey, Yeah, yeah. yeah, Joey! 
There's two of you who know what's coming. And one of him. You just get out. Get out. Yes, you got this.